Welcome to the Girl Gang Conversations, a podcast that's all about connection, sisterhood, and having conversations that matter. I'm your host, Sarah Stars, and every week I speak to inspiring women about the nitty-gritty of how they live with passion and purpose. We dive deep into our journeys, the obstacles we've overcome, our dreams, what's working for us, and what isn't. We're totally honest about what we're learning, what our daily rituals look like, and what we're struggling with. We don't shy away from the hard stuff, and we really go into it all. Spirituality, personal development, magic, routines, career, friendship, relationships, sexuality, and so much more. The most powerful two words in the English language are, me too, and it's my hope that these conversations help us all feel less alone. This isn't about preachy self-help or self-improvement. It's about self-acceptance and talking about the things that matter to us. Hello, and welcome to the Girl Gang Conversations, episode 72. You can access all of the show notes for this episode at Sarah Stars. That's S-T-A-R-R-S, sarahstars.com slash podcast slash 72. And today's interview is with me. And basically, I'm being interviewed by you. As I mentioned last week, I'm doing something a bit different this week and trying out an FAQ episode. So I've taken questions on Instagram, uh, via email, and in the Girl Gang HQ Facebook group just to see what you want to know about my life and my work and my beliefs. And I'm kind of bearing all today and answering those questions that I've got. I'd love to hear from you what you think about this episode, uh, whether it's something you want me to do again, and I can kind of see from there whether I do continue maybe doing it monthly or bi-monthly. We'll just see how it goes. So I've got a whole list of questions here. I'm not sure I can get through all of them. (laughs) I'm so chatty. Um, I'm going to try and be concise but uh, thorough with each one, and I will do my best to answer all of them. So the first question is from Charlotte, and Charlotte says, I'd like to hear about deciding to leave London. It's something I always grapple with. Disposable income, fresh air, an actual house with a garden. But I have decision paralysis. Okay, yes. Um, Those were all factors in why we decided to move um, from London to Liverpool. So I would say that at the beginning of 2016, I was really struck with this sense of deep homesickness and... I guess like a growing sense that London was not the right place for my life anymore, Um, which was really surprising to me. Matthew and I had always said that we were going to be Londoners forever. Wouldn't it be great to raise a family in London and and all of these things. We both really loved London. London used to be so energizing to me. I just wrote a blog post about this. Um, I think it's called something like what to do when your life doesn't fit anymore or something like that. It's a little bit melodramatic, the title, Um, but I'll link to that in the show notes. Um, so yeah, I just basically had this sense, you know, all of the things that had been really exciting and invigorating for me about London, the bigness, the busyness, all of the things to do were actually starting to feel really draining, um, especially after having such a significant period of burnout. Um, I've always had the highly sensitive trait, but it kind of like that trait got turned up to 11. And so sounds, other people's energies busyness, crowdedness, they all were taking a huge toll on me. Um, And around the same time, we'd had the offer to have some help 
buying a house, which is amazing and really excited us and felt like a really good next step. But we started to look at what we could afford to buy in London and it was pretty grim. <laughs> we could basically buy a shed in zone six is what it felt like. Um, but if we started looking at moving a little bit further up north, you know, there were beautiful, beautiful homes that we could afford to buy. And that was definitely a factor. You know, it's all well and uh, good to say that you love the idea of raising kids in London. Um, but it just was becoming increasingly obvious, I guess, that the lifestyle we wanted in London, it wasn't as possible in London. It started, it stopped feeling as worth it to be spending such a high percentage of our wages on, on rent. Um, so that was um, a big factor in our decision making as well. And I, it's so funny, I can get decision paralysis over like what brand of toilet paper to buy or um, or like what to make for dinner. But when it comes to massive decisions, um, I felt like really clear right away, like, okay, I don't want to live in London anymore, like, let's go. Um, but Matthew was definitely a little bit, um, a little bit slower in making the decision, which is probably good. It's a pretty big decision. Um, he thought maybe, he, you know, he'd want a couple more years in London. And I was kind of vying for like, okay, well, like, let's get it on the, the shorter end of that scale. Um, but just as the year progressed by, by the summertime, he felt really ready to leave as well. And so, you know, we were also starting talking about how, starting a family. Obviously, now I'm pregnant. Um, that was another big factor of just wanting, of wanting our money to go further and not wanting to spend so much time commuting or queuing, <laughs> just being needlessly busy and crammed around people. Um, I was craving this real sense of spaciousness that I couldn't find in London. And so we started exploring different places to move. Top of our list was Edinburgh, magical fairy tale city. And um, we were also looking at Liverpool. And, and um, being self-employed, I could kind of take my work anywhere, but Matthew was looking for for a job in his field in digital marketing. And so ended up finding a really great job here in Liverpool, and that's what inspired our move. Um, we've been here like a week and a half now. I'm loving it so much already. I keep just saying every day, oh my gosh, everyone's just so nice. And they are, it's lovely. Um, it also means that when the baby's born, I can you know, only work a few hours a day and we won't really have to change our lifestyle at all. In fact, I think we'll still have more disposable income than we would have in London if I was working the same hours that I am now. So so that's all like, been huge parts of our decision. Um, and I know that your, your situation may feel totally different. I don't know for sure that Liverpool is our forever city. Um, you know, there are other places that we'd love to explore living one day, but we'll just have to see how things go and see how we feel once we are parents and homeowners and all that in the future. So the next question is from the book doctor on Instagram. And she just says, I'm always curious about people's writing schedules. So yeah, I will tell you, I guess, both how I'm approaching writing my book and how I'm approaching writing um, like blog posts right now. So for me, it's really important, and this is something I've just mm, really gotten strict with myself about this year. Um, because before that, in 2015, I was still um, employed full-time and then the rest of the year I've been kind of transitioning to being full-time self-employed 
So I've kind of now got the flexibility to be more in charge of my own schedule. And it's really important for me that when I first sit down to work in the day that I'm working on my own creative work first. Um, so for a couple of reasons is the work that I'm doing for myself, writing the book, creating this podcast, writing the blog, um, even posting on Instagram, like that's the most creative work that I do. And I just need that morning creative energy in order to be able to do it well. Um, and then the other reason for that, I would say, is um, that it's the easiest thing for me to put off. I have a lot of resistance, like we all do, towards creating our creative work. And it's easy to get into client work and then be like, oh, well, I'll just do a little bit more, I'll just do a little bit more, or um, find some other way to procrastinate and and just not do the work. So if I sit, up, sit down and do my writing first thing, um, that's what works best for me. And I am just chipping away at the book, really. The outline came to me in a fit of creativity, I think, in September. And I'd known kind of all of 2016 that I was going to write a book in 2017. And it took shape into what it was going to be slowly over those months as I was kind of living and researching. And then the outlet outline came... <laughs> probably in like about five minutes in this fit of, of real inspiration. And since then I've been kind of filling in the outline and doing research to fill in that gap, those gaps. And now I'm just sitting down every day and trying to write or, or do research for about an hour with the plan of writing the book over the next few months. I'm really trying to let it be a kind of moon led and uh, she led practice, letting my own cycles guide the pace um, and the activities that I'm undertaking every day. And uh, with my blog posts, to be honest, like those tend to be something, a question that I'm exploring in my own life. And I'll kind of know that there's something I want to write about because it's something I've been exploring and have gotten some insight on. And so usually the, the foundation of those articles will come to me either when I'm journaling or if I'm out for a walk or I'm like making dinner and they'll just get scribbled down on a piece of paper or written into an iPhone note. And from there... I'll expand them into, you know, an outline and then a first draft and then, um, you know, revised into a finished product. So they kind of come together quite organically, but are, are sculpted from something quite messy and um, just spewed out of my brain into whatever I end up posting. Um, and so similarly, Han Lovejoy on Instagram asks, would love to know how you manage your time and stay motivated when writing. So I think, again, a big part of that is that I sit down and write first thing in the morning. Um, otherwise, I try and weasel out of it. And I just make it my single point of focus. So, you know, I'm giving myself an hour and I don't do anything else for that hour. Like my phone is upside down. Um, I'm not checking Facebook. I'm not even necessarily online. Um, I'm just writing and that's what works really well for me. And I think in a lot of ways, that's the only way to do it. I wish I had some sort of like magical tool that I could give you. You might want to try the Pomodoro technique if you're doing longer chunks of writing. So maybe say, write for 45 minutes and then take a 15 minute break or write for 25 minutes and take a five minute break. Or just being really strict about the length of that break and going straight into writing and just only focusing on one thing at a time. Like that's how stuff gets done. And 
I don't think there's really any other way. But if anyone else has another way, then let me know. I, I love to play around with time management and, um, yeah, and creativity. So, Eric asked, have you come across any helpful books on toxic relationships or processing emotional abuse? Any titles you could send my way would be very much appreciated. So I have to admit, this is not an area in which I'm well-read at all. Um, one author who I, might, I think you might find really helpful to read is Byron Katie. Um, I really love her book, Loving What Is, but I, and I cannot remember the title off the top of my head, but I do think she has a book that's a little bit, um, deals a little bit with emotional abuse in relationships. Um, but yeah, this is not an area I'm well-read on. I would really, really recommend you come join us in Girl Gang HQ. That's our private Facebook group. It's free. It's a really safe space. Everything that's said in the group stays in the group. And I just think there'll be people there who would have some really good recommendations for you if you want to ask in that group. Or you can always ask, um, you can join the group, send me an email and ask me to um, ask the question anonymously and you can get the answers that way. It's totally up to you. So Jen has asked, I'm totally intrigued by your altars and creating a space for life, biz, and spirituality, what does that look like for you? So in terms of altars, um, I feel like how I approach creating an altar is really, it's evolved. There's a post on my blog that I will link to. Um, but it's, yeah, it's about a year old, I think, and I've I've kind of evolved the way I'm treating my altar in that I just like to have less stuff on it, but I like to kind of recreate it more frequently. So have it really be um, built around my intentions for the moon cycle or for even one particular phase of the moon or for some um, creative project that I'm working on. So really focusing about what I'm trying to call in and cultivate. Um, and so then I'll put anything on the altar that really relates to that. So maybe crystals, maybe a particular tarot card, um, any photos or statues. Um, I might write notes or affirmations. I'll often leave offerings of herbs or um, different foods. I have some water from the Chalice Wells in Glastonbury. I'll often leave an offering for that. And I really spend some time there meditating and speaking out loud about my intentions, um, you could call it praying, and really infusing that energy into the altar, and um, and then revisiting the altar regularly. I think it's your presence that charges the space, so having it be a space where you can meditate or practice yoga or move or just, you know, sit. <laughs> um, often, it's, you know, I'll burn incense there. Uh, lots of smudging, <laughs> all of that goodness. It's been a little bit of a dilemma for me where I want my altar to be in our new house. It doesn't feel like there's a place that, I don't know, that really calls out to me as like the place. Uh, strangely, our alt my altar in our last flat was in the kitchen. We had a big um, wooden chest that was in front of an old fireplace in the kitchen. And even though it's not a place where I normally would have thought to sit and meditate, it just worked because um, there was open space there. And now I think I'm going to be putting my altar in this house beside my bed, beside our bed on my side. Um, so there's not a ton of time, not a ton of space to 
move there necessarily, uh, but I could sit, I can see it from the bed, which I think is really nice, and there's enough space to sit down and meditate. Um, so yeah, I think, you know, it's really beautiful to collect objects in, from nature, to put on the altar, to just keep it as a really fluid space, and then um, when there's an object that I no longer want on the altar, I might, I might just put it away, like I have a suitcase of kind of like spiritual goodies um, that get cycled in and, in and off the, on and off the altar, uh, but some more natural things I might put back outside eventually, the offerings, the food offerings, I'll put outside for the animals, and I just like to um, call back any power or energy that I still need to keep with me from those things before I put them outside, so I just rub my hands together and hold them on either side of the object and just call back any energy that is still meant for me. Um, and I think, yeah, just remembering that you can have an altar in a box that you put on a shelf and just take down. You can have, I have an altar that's in a little um, candy tin that you can take with you. You could have, you know, I find now that we've been decorating our house, I kind of think of the shelves and tables in a way as like altars, just carefully arranging things so that they look beautiful and based on what we want to call into that room. Um, so that's about the altars, and you also asked about creating a space for life, biz, and spirituality. Um, so I don't have a physical space, like I don't have an office, um, and we didn't even have a dining room table, and well, I mean, we've only lived here for a week and a half, but we don't really have, properly have a dining room table. We bought one last weekend, but I'm reupholstering the chairs, so I'm mostly working from um, an armchair in our living room. And I was talking to a client yesterday about how important it is to kind of still create some division so that I'm still putting my stuff away. So I'm getting a, a metal basket that I can just put things like my planner and all my pens and anything that I use for work. They can just go in there and just be tucked away at the end of the day so that they're A, it's not a mess and it's not just stuff everywhere, um, but B, it just feels like that... Uh, that process of putting the things away and giving them a space um, but that's kind of out of my space for the rest of life uh, feels like a, a nice end of the day thing to then move into you know my evening and making dinner and uh, closing off that that workday energetically and the other thing that I'd want to say about creating space for life biz and spirituality is just being really boundaried around my time has changed things so much for me so not working in the evenings, not working on the weekends, having non-negotiable um, time for my spiritual practice every day, and having some rituals in our life as well, like, you know, things that we do every weekend, things that we do every week, like we make tacos every Tuesday, and it sounds silly, but it's just those fun things that, that do put a little bit of a boundary around your time and mean that you know that you're dedicating a certain amount of time to things um, every week. That's really been a game changer for me um, because definitely not having boundaries around my time was a huge factor in what led to my burnout. Um, so the next question is from Priscilla and she says, I would like one on rituals, morning routines, daily rituals that have been game changers and provided awesome days and some balance. So I am obsessed with rituals and it really, I mean, it's such a broad question. Um, so 
I'll tell you what rituals I am doing every morning right now. And then I'll just mention a couple of others that have been really, um, really profound for me that I'm not necessarily practicing all the time right now because they don't necessarily fit in with pregnancy. Um, I usually start the day by drawing a couple of cards, one tarot card and right now um, one from the Sacred Creators Oracle deck. And I just use those cards to kind of tune into how I'm feeling, what messages coming through from my intuition. Um, as a result of looking at those cards and reading about them, I might um, end up journaling about the themes of those cards. They might kind of end up shaping the focus of my day. They're just really a, a great way to tune in with myself. Um, I also do some womb breaths a practice that I learned from my friend Lisa. You can read her that about it in her book, Love Your Lady Landscape. But basically, you're just putting one hand over your heart and one hand over your womb space. Exhaling, or sorry, inhaling as, um, as deeply as you can and feeling that connection of the breath moving past your heart and your gut and into your womb. Holding the breath there for five seconds and then exhaling really audibly. Um, so as you inhale, you're thinking about what you want to call in. And as you exhale, you're thinking about what you want to get rid of. Um, and I do that three times usually. And then I just kind of lie down or maybe sit up at my altar and just spend some time, I mean, essentially meditating, just checking in with my body, um, in, in with that creative energy of the womb space. Um, and now obviously there's that baby energy sharing my womb space. So checking in with him, cre um, creating that connection and uh, just spending some time with kind of centering my mind um, and letting anything that needs to bubble up, bubble up. Um, I also write morning pages, so that's just some stream of consciousness journaling. I find this really helpful for dumping things out of my head um, so that I don't have to carry them around with me anymore. But it's also, I think, a really great way to work through anything that you're struggling with, or that you're just unsure about, you can get some clarity around your beliefs or maybe around why something's really bothering you. Or even this morning, there's something that I've, a question that I've been thinking about a lot lately in return, in terms of how I want to live my life, but also just from a kind of philosophical perspective. And I've been grappling with it for long enough that I knew I really wanted to write an article about it, but I felt a little bit shaky on what the point of the article was, I guess. And so spending some time really writing down all these things that I've been thinking that I've come to understand and believe about this question. I'm, I'm being vague, but just because I'm going to write the article next week and you'll get to read it. Um, but by writing that down, I was able to say like, oh yeah, like there's the thread that holds it all together. And I just had a lot more clarity around what it is that I'm trying to say. So I think that's helpful whether you're a writer or not, um, because it really does allow you to process what you're feeling, thinking, and believing. And I, like I said, I spend the first part of my work day working on my own creative work. That's a really important ritual for me. I'm starting to really see the benefit of moving my body. And not really from a fitness perspective, but because of doing that creative work first thing, doing some sort of movement. So right now I'm really loving going for a walk um, because I have this new neighborhood to explore. But otherwise doing um, a short yoga video or dancing or just shaking my body to kind of wake up that shakti, that creative energy and get things flowing through my uh, through my body after being sedentary all night really does allow the creative work to flow more easily. And then again, um, I plan my day um, 
you know, figure out the three most important tasks that I'm going to do and plan out my day. Um, you know, I've got a little ritual around gratitude journaling and checking in with my SheScape, but you can learn all about that in the bullet journals printable that I've created. So I'll link to that in the show notes because it'll walk you through the exact system that I do as it would be a bit long-winded, I think, for me to share it with you here. Okay, so Nikki says, I really want to take back Sunday and make it a spiritual self-care kind of day. So I'm looking for ideas and thoughts on what that could look like. Also, I'm just starting out bullet journaling, so would like to know how that's helped you. Okay, I love this. I love that more people are creating, taking back Sunday as a day of rest and putting the sacred back in Sunday. Um, when I'm a fully qualified Koya teacher, I just love this idea of having some sort of women's group that meets every Sunday and, you know, I'll teach Koya and we'll do ceremonies and rituals and just really have that sacredness um, on Sunday morning. Um, so I think that the key to doing this is to decide how much of your Sunday is going to be about this. You know, are you going to... Are you going to spend all of Sunday kind of dedicated to the sacred and to self-care? Or is it about having a few hours? And are you doing this alone? Or are you going to start some sort of group where you're, you're sharing rituals and practices together? So get a little bit of clarity around the, like, the loose structure of it. Um, and then for me, I would want to leave it a little bit open as to what I actually do every week. So I would think I would treat it as like, as if I was doing a little bit of uh, my own personal retreat um, and think each week, maybe based on where you're at, you're in your menstrual cycle or where the moon cycle is or on what's kind of been coming up for you during the week and just plan some activities that fit that time frame. So, you know, find some meditations, find some personal development exercises, really tune into your body and your mind and your spirit and ask what you need and and create that collection of uh, rituals and practices um there are some really beautiful ones on the koya.love website um there's a really beautiful workbook called the many moons workbook um that has some great ideas you might like but just yeah i mean there's so many free guided meditations and yoga classes online you could do a free uh, koya class you could look at creating some beautiful um, herbal elixirs. Just see what would feel really good for you. But I think the key is figuring out what the time frame is going to be and making that time sacred in the sense that it's very boundaried. You don't let yourself book anything. People know, people who you live with and who you um, spend a lot of time with know that you're kind of off limits during that time and create that boundary for yourself. Um in terms of how bullet journaling has really helped me, I was already an avid planner and really diligent about kind of organization and time management, but bullet journaling allowed me to bring a lot of the systems that I was using into one place, and it allowed me to be more adaptive in my planning structure based on, you know, new techniques I was learning um, or, yeah, new tools I was trying and rather than having a whole bunch of different notebooks for those things, they could all be in one place. It also means when I'm looking back and reflecting, for example, looking for patterns around productivity throughout my menstrual cycle. Because my cycle charting and my to-do list are all in the bullet journal, um, those are, patterns are way easier to find than if I'm kind of having to cross-reference two notebooks. Um, and it just means my bedside table and my workspace is a little bit less cluttered as well. 
which is definitely helpful. So Michelle asked, I'd love to know how you personally balance the spiritual and business aspects of what you do, i.e. is it 100% spirit guided or do you plan and strategize alongside? This is a really interesting question and I think it's something I'm still really navigating. I want to be as um, intuitively and spirit led as possible, but also I know that um, systems and strategies are really important even if it's just for my own sanity. Um, I used to be incredibly ruthlessly, I don't know if ruthless is the right word, but not ruthless towards other people, but towards myself, strategic about building a business. I was following formulas and strategies that I'd learned in online courses and just being so diligent about uh, building my business around those practices. And it ended up really not feeling good. It didn't feel real. And I mean, to be honest, it wasn't really working anyway. Um, and so I've let all of that stuff go. I, uh, have a lot of animosity towards some stuff that happens in the online business world. And I've been really intentional and this has been a very intuitive and spirit led process in building a business and a livelihood that is not doing any of those icky hustle, pushing, striving, foresee sales stuff. Um, I got really clear on what was important to me about my work so that it needed to be really fulfilling, it needed to be varied, it needed to have location independence, and it needed to be financially stable. And I've built a business as a virtual assistant that really um, that really provides me with all those things while at the same time providing the other most important thing, which was a lot of time and room to breathe. Um, and freedom to pursue my creative endeavors and not having to put my financial uh, livelihood on, on those things. So yeah, I would definitely say it's a combination, really feeling into what feels good, being open to the synchronicities um, and and guidance along the way. But definitely, I, you know, I have systems around <laughs> um, what work I'm doing on a given day and what time. Um, I have systems that I'm using to try and and grow and reach more people. But for, for me now, um, because I've allowed myself to be really guided around how I want to run my business, those uh, strategies are a lot more about putting myself out there in a really real way and allowing myself to be visible rather than trying to hack the algorithm or, or do kind of schmarmy things. <laughs> so hopefully that answers your question. Um, I don't bring a ton of more, you know, like woo-woo stuff into my business, um, into my writing practice a little bit, but not necessarily into, um, into my business because I've already got that kind of guidance. Um, and I think that any guidance that I'm getting is applying to my whole life rather than just my business or just any one thing. So also about business, Alicia asked, I wondered how much pregnancy affects your day-to-day -day as an entrepreneur and how to balance being at home with a baby and a business to run. So I would say that my pregnancy in um, specifically, I can't speak to anyone else's experience, my pre pregnancy has affected my day-to-day -day as an entrepreneur pretty massively. I've had a fairly difficult pregnancy physically. Um, that first trimester, I was so tired. <laughs> And I don't know how, if you have an office job and have not yet told people that you're pregnant, that you survive that. Um, I just stripped everything back to the bare minimum. 
I would do my client work and in between, you know, at those, you know, I would do my client work as I felt capable throughout the day and the rest of the time I was like lying on the couch or the floor or taking a nap. So a lot of my own creative work fell by the wayside because it was just about getting what needed to get done for my clients done and, and yeah, <laughs> that was all I was capable of. Um, and things are a little bit easier now in the second trimester, but I still have to be, I have to hold things, plans lightly. There are some days when I'm really nauseous or I'm in a lot of pain and I need to give myself more rest than I would on another day. But I've just found that if I am really um, flexible with myself, like for example, I had to take almost off, uh, off almost all of Monday to unexpectedly go to the hospital. Um, but I just worked double time yesterday and I ended up having the energy levels to do so. So I do find it balances out a little bit that way. Um, my baby's not born until May and this is our first child. So I don't know about balancing being at home with a baby and a business to run. Um, I am definitely nervous about it. I am planning to just be working a few hours a day for those, at least for those um, first few months when I'm back from maternity leave and kind of gauge from there whether we need some help with childcare or what that's going to look like. But yeah, definitely not something I have figured out yet. Um, I will let you know when I do. <laughs> so this painted, this painted Life blog on Instagram asked, how do you take care of yourself mentally while running a business? Also, any time management tips? I work two jobs part-time and I'm a full-time student, so I'm struggling with making time for my business. Okay, I've totally been there. Um, and to be honest, you will be a more productive person because you're so busy, but you do really need to be careful about not burning out doing so much. Um, so taking care of myself mentally has really been about being really boundaries with my time, knowing when I work and when I don't work. Um, you know, I used to work evenings and weekends and all day, and, and there was no boundaries. There was no... Um, there was no space really for, for replenishing. And so having those boundaries about when I work and when I don't work. And there's times when I have to be like a little flexible with that and work an extra hour here and an extra hour there. But that's kind of as far as I'm willing to push it at this stage. I'm not willing to, to run myself into the ground again. Um, and also having that non-negotiable time to replenish and really allowing that self-care and that replenishment to be what will be the most nourishing for you, even if that's lying in a dark room, um, staring at the ceiling, like not having to make it look like self-care. So it doesn't have to be a bubble bath and you don't have to paint your nails and you don't have to drink a green smoothie. Like learning to be really honest with myself about what's going to replenish me has, um, has been a game changer for sure. And it's, it's hard to be boundaried with your time when you're working so much. Um, so finding a way to, to make some non-negotiable time for your business so that you're not feeling like you're not getting anything done, but also not letting, not letting all of your work leak into every aspect of your life, creating some really um, sacred time that's just for you. And you may find next week's episode with Erin Lochner really helpful. She talks about finding her golden hours and how right now she has a newborn baby and a toddler and she gets up at 2 a.m. every morning and writes and works on her business uh, because that's the only time she has when her kids aren't awake and then she goes to bed at 7 or 8 p.m. 
and you know that might not be the schedule that's going to work for you but it is quite interesting about just finding what is the what is the time that you have um in this season of your life and how can you use it in a way that is not going to not going to burn you out so in terms of time management tips there's a couple that i would say are the crucial are crucial for me um, and so the first being just a single pointed focus. Don't try and do everything at once. Have a really clear task that you're working on. Finish that task and then move on to the next thing. If you're like checking social media and you, you know, just doing multiple things at once in general, um, nothing really gets done. Or if you're hopping from task to task, things get done really slowly. So just having that single pointed focus um, is how I think things get done. And I think that's really the only way uh, it's not that much fancier than that. Pomodoro technique can definitely be really helpful for keeping a single pointed focus. So working for 25 minutes, having a timer go off, and then taking a five minute break to shift that attention, um, shake your energy up a little bit, and then either going back into that task and completing it, or if it's already been completed, moving on to the next task. And then I'm also a big um, believer in the eat that frog principle, which is that you do the biggest, scariest, most boring, most annoying, most dreaded task first. And in a way, that's why I do my creative work first, right? Like for me, writing the book every morning is the scariest thing that I could do. I also know that's when my creative flow is at its highest. So I get the most out of from working that time. But I keep that principle throughout the day um, when I'm doing my client work as well. Like if there's something that I'm really dreading because I know it's gonna be boring or I know it's gonna take forever or I know it's gonna be really hard, um, I do that thing first and I keep looking on eating the next frog, I guess, on my to-do list. There's a book that I'll link to that's all about eating the frog, but really it's a whole book that tells you that basically um, using that principle, I think, is the, the best way to get things done. Okay, so here is a question from Alex who says, I'd like to know a bit more about your activism past and present and how you see it fitting into your life and if how it fits into your personal development and self-care. This is a really good question. It's not something I've talked about, um, I think, at all in the podcast. So I used to be very um, actively involved in political campaigning. I was on the board of several um, organizations in Canada related to electoral reform. So the idea being that we were campaigning to change the voting system in Canada. Um, the voting system that we use in the UK, Canada, and the US were the only developed Western nations that still use a first-past-the-post system for electing our political representatives. And I really believe that until those systems change, we are not going to see um, substantive action on the issues that are important to so many of us. So whether that's reproductive health, LGBTQ rights, um, environmental conservation, healthcare, education... I just don't think until we have a more proportional voting system that we'll see big changes there. So I was doing a lot of campaigning, organizing events, writing letters to newspapers and MPs, um, getting other people involved, organizing education campaigns and events. Um, and I was also campaigning and canvassing for the Green Party of Canada. So I was very politically active. And then when I moved to the UK, that's really kind of fallen for, away from me for me, uh, for a couple of reasons. I guess at first I just was just trying to create a life here um, and settling in. And then I guess since then I felt a little bit disconnected. Um, 
because I can't vote in Canada anymore. So I feel very disconnected from that political system. And then I just don't feel very connected politically here. Um, I guess not being British and not knowing the history um, or even the current situations as well as I would in Canada. Um, but I am looking at getting involved again in a couple different organizations but I don't know if that will be in such a heavy kind of campaigny kind of way. I'm trying to right now really focus on the ways that I can kind of clean up my own house, clean up my own life and live in accordance with my own values as much as possible. So in, for me, that is a big act of personal development and self-care. How can I live most integrity with my values? Um, recently, that's, you know, we've gotten rid of a lot of stuff before we moved and that felt like Brought, it brought me into closer alignment of my values, of just having things that I think are beautiful and useful, of using them and re, um, restoring them when they get broken, really trying to consume less stuff. Um, my husband and I also set up small monthly recurring donations to several organizations that we support. Um, and I think, you know, having studied nonprofit management in university, those small do donations, even a couple of pounds a month, really are crucial. They all add up and they're really crucial to the, the budgeting capacity of those organizations. So that's been really helpful. Um, or hopefully it's helpful for them. But it was one way that I just felt like when I was feeling really, I guess, impotent about the current political climate, it was something that I could do. Um, because it is difficult, like, feeling so impacted by the, the energy and the reality of what's going on. And I don't mean personally impacted, but just being so horrified by what's been going on in the States and even what's going on here in the UK and different things that are happening, for example, with the indigenous populations in Canada, but just feeling very, um, very separate from those political systems. So that was a way to just, to assert some power, I guess, with our dollars, with our pounds. Um, and then also right now, I just really, I'm thinking about how I can get involved in a local level. You know, they're trying to shut down the library in our new neighborhood, how can we get involved with that? What are some different ways that we can create community right where we're living and, and support the values that we live for right where we're living? And I'm still really trying to figure out what that looks like. I'm also trying to figure out, you know, how I could, um, you know, for example, start doing a little bit of campaigning again, but have it fit with my um, blossoming <laughs> uh, identity as a mother and, and a new mother of a little tiny baby, what that's going to look like. So yeah, it's, it's kind of an exploration process for me right now um, that I'm looking at in a whole bunch of different ways, and it's definitely something I'll be writing about more in the future. So I'm really glad you brought it up. Okay, so this is a question from Prov Wellness on Instagram, and she said, would be so interested to know how you clear the way to open up to opportunity. Um, I don't know that I have any particular rituals that I can suggest but more so the mindset of having goals and intentions, but holding them lightly. So letting things come to me in ways that might be really different than what I had imagined, or um, even having goals and being pretty open to letting them go when they no longer feel aligned with who I am or where I want to go. Um, I think we see opportunity a lot more clearly when we're not holding really tightly onto one particular outcome or objective. Um, and the final question, I've gotten through all of them, is from Feminist Self-Care on Instagram. She asks, I would love to know how you began finding those you wanted to speak to on your podcast and how much research you do before you talk to them. 
Like, do you read their books, listen to their podcasts, etc.? Or you were already a fan for most of them. What is that prep process like? It always feels like such a natural conversation, so I'd love to know behind the scenes. Okay, well, if you think it sounds like a natural conversation, thank you, and I feel like it does now. But just so you know, it didn't always. Go listen to the first episode with Francesca Leah Block in those first few episodes. I'm so stilted. I so, like, ask a question, listen to the answer, ask a question. It's been a big um, growth process and learning process for me to, to learn how to interview in a conversational way. And so if you are thinking about starting a podcast, um, yeah, don't let that stop you. If you're feeling like that's not a skill you have yet, I definitely did not have it. And in terms of how I went about finding people, it was definitely just reaching out and asking people who I was already a fan of. Like the first email I did send out was to one of my favorite authors, Francesca Leah Block. My advice would be maybe wait until you've got a few episodes under your belt until you interview your childhood hero. It was incredibly nerve-wracking. I'm so glad I did it. I would have loved to have a little bit more finesse in my um, interviewing skills before I did. But anyways, and I just sent out emails uh, asking people, letting them know my vision for the show. Um, You know, I didn't have any kind of social proof that it was going to turn into anything or that anyone's going to listen to it. I did have a blog that people were reading so I could say, you know, that I'd be promoting it there and that I had some different plans I was doing to be able to promote the show on on iTunes. I've done a lot of research about launching a podcast. Um, If you're thinking of starting one, I really recommend Pat Flynn's free guide to podcasting. It has a lot of information that, that will guide you there. So I was reaching out to people who I already knew of and who I was a fan of and who I just really wanted to talk to and and learn more about the kind of nitty-gritty of their lives. Um, I tend to do quite a lot of research, even if I already know a fair bit about someone. Um, you know, I might, I might not require as much research, but I definitely refresh myself, uh, go through their recent blog posts, look up what I can about their history. I try not to listen um, to other interviews of them. That was a mistake I made in the beginning, and I felt like, then I would want to ask the same questions in order to get the same answer as someone else had gotten in an interview because it was so interesting. And really now, A, I want it to be a really natural conversation. And I'm really focused, obviously, on creating something that's new. So even if you've listened to every interview um, that someone's given, hopefully you're going to get something new out of this one. Um, So yeah, but I will read people's books and their blog posts. I'll read, like, biographical information about them. I do send... um, a questionnaire to everyone that I'm interviewing to collect their bio and their social media links, which makes it a little bit easier for me to put together the show notes. But then I also ask them some questions about, you know, what they've struggled with, um, what things they could talk about all day, what things they're sick of talking about, just like some general questions like that. I've got like four or five of them. And that gives me a real sense of what will be exciting to talk about and maybe some things that they're currently, um, chewing on and thinking about and processing that I wouldn't know about otherwise and we can um, potentially talk about those things. So I create a list of questions that I might ask so that there's never a point in the interview where I'm like fumbling for the next thing to say. But to be honest, often we don't even get to two-thirds of those because the conversation goes in a completely different direction. The person says something so interesting and I just want to pursue that um, and talk about that and, and then it goes all of these different places, which is really great. Um, yeah, and there's lots of people who 
I didn't really know before I interviewed them at all. Either they've been someone who were recommended to me or I just noticed their book sounded really interesting. So I sent them an email and then read the book and then interviewed them. So yeah, it, it really has varied from people who I've been following for like half my life, like Francesca, um, and to people who I am just getting to know and just becoming a fan of, and then I get to interview them and both are equally cool. Um, I have experience have from having worked as a magazine editor and then starting a magazine. So I was a little bit comfortable cold pitching people like that. And the thing that I would say, if you're not sure about sending out those emails is just to ask, like most people want to help someone out and they also want to promote themselves. So there's no harm in asking. Um, lots of people will say yes, I promise. Okay, so those are all of the questions. I would love, love, love to know what you thought about this format um, of the podcast. Would you like me to do a um, an FAQ episode again? Send me a tweet, drop me an email, let me know. Or if you have a question you'd like me to answer in a future episode, same thing. You can email me hello at sarahstars.com. You can join us in the Girl Gang HQ group on Facebook. Tweet me, comment on Instagram, whatever you want. Next week's interview is with Erin Lochner. Erin has been blogging and speaking for more than a decade. Her heartfelt writing and design work has been showcased in so many places, including the New York Times, Lucky Me, Parenting, Marie Claire, and she had a two-season HGTV.com web special, garnering over one million fans worldwide. Now nestled in a Midwestern town, Erin and her husband and their toddler and new baby strive for less in most areas except three, Joy, Grace, and Goat Cheese. Erin <laughs> has just written an amazing book called Chasing Slow. She's also one of the friendliest, most open people I've ever spoken to, and I love chatting with her about minimalism, slowing down our lives, finding our golden hours in order to be more creative, and what she learned about herself from writing her new book. Until then, grab your girl gang and have a conversation that matters. <laughs>